it's just a privilege to be able to come and uh, minister and to enjoy your fellowship. And so we're, we're really pleased to be here with you. The story is told about a plane that was flying across country when all of a sudden there was a major explosion. And of course, all the passengers are wondering what's going on. Well, it was a few minutes before the pilot came on, explained that out of the four engines, one of the engines blew. But he said, don't panic, don't worry. Uh, we have three perfectly good engines, and we're going to be landing just as normal, so just relax. We're going to get you there safe and sound. And then just to throw a little extra measure of comfort in, the pilot explained, he said, you might be pleased to know that on board we have four pastors. Well, there was a lady in the back who leaned over the aisle and told, mentioned to her friend uh, sitting next to her, she said, I'd rather have four engines and three pastors. <laughs> and I think I would have two. Now, what I'm understanding is that you're going a little bit through a transition. Maybe not necessarily a pastoral transition, maybe a teacher, spiritual leader type of transition. And there's an old joke that when a pastor leaves... Some are sad, some are mad, and some are glad. <laughs> now, the little bit I've been here with you, I think there's a little bit of sadness I've picked up that you dearly loved, uh, Wayne Stiles. I haven't heard anybody mad that he's leaving. I haven't heard anybody glad that he's leaving. But pastoral, spiritual leadership, teaching transitions are often very challenging for God's people. And that's why I want to speak to you about going from one pastor to another. If we can get this thing moving, are we, uh, we've got some slides we'd like to share, okay? <laughs> okay, because I have a PowerPoint and the first one is black. So I can see it's not black right there. Uh, but maybe they take me off the situation and we can move on. But while they're sorting that out, we're going to look at how to go from one spiritual leader to another. And that's where we have to make adjustments, and those adjustments are often very challenging for God's people. Now, we're going to take you to 2 Kings chapter 2, and while they're figuring out, oh, there we go, Going from one spiritual leader, we're going to take you to 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, while you're turning there, by the way, I'm going to have a lot of the scripture on the screen. So if you don't, you can just follow along with me. Uh, as I already mentioned, I've been a pastor for over 40 years. I did four churches as just a, what I called normal pastor. Then I, I joined a ministry called Interim Pastor Ministries, where we go in and help churches move from one pastor to another. And there's a variety of reasons of why we do that. I've done that for about 10 years. I've been uh, coaching uh, and still coaching, been doing about 14 pastors who are taking churches through transition. Uh, I'm going to be mentoring another pastor as, as of tomorrow. We're going to meet for the first time. And so I do lots of different things in transition. So when I hear a church or a class going through transition, I feel a compulsion to speak that direction. And what I'm going to do is take you to this classic story in 2 chapter Kings of how God takes Elijah up in the fiery chariot, the fiery horse, and the whirlwind, 
and his cloak falls down upon Elisha, and he carries on the new ministry of being the spiritual leader in Israel at that time. And we're finding as we move through this passage of Scripture, there's three adjustments that need to be made by God's people as they go through this transition. Now, let's dive into the first verse here. Let's make sure we're, okay, are we there? If not, okay. Dave, are we dialed in? Okay, there we go. I just need to be more patient. And what we find here in 2 Kings 2.1, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Now, what I would like to do is just pause here for a moment and give you a little bit of the backstory. Years before this event, we find that Elijah went through a very, very challenging experience. He really hit the skids. Now, there's a number of things that God did to heal and restore Elijah. One of those is he gave him an associate prophet by the name of Elisha. I just wish the names were a little bit different because, you know, you have to enunciate a little bit to make sure if I'm saying Elijah or Elisha. And we found that Elijah comes to him, puts his cloak around him, and calls him into that associate prophet prophet ministry. And so uh, apparently, if I understand between the, the lines, is that Elisha was kind of an agribusinessman, had a number of plows and things going on. And so it was a major, major call. Now, if we just pause here for a moment, that God calls us to himself. And we have ministries like uh, international or, or uh, athletes in action, kind of presenting the gospel, and God is calling us to respond to him, to his death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, when we respond to that call, God calls us into discipleship. He wants us to be like him. I'm also discipling two seminary students now and helping them understand what being a disciple is all about. And God calls each one of us to be like him. Now, God does not call all of us into full-time ministry, but he does call us to be full-time Christians and to live that out the best we can through our personalities and skills and talents. Now, God has called us, some of us, into full-time ministry. I remember as a senior in high school, 16 years of age, and God began to work in my heart. And I began to pray, and the Lord laid on my heart to become a pastor. It was freaky. I didn't tell anybody for months because I didn't know what this was all about. But looking back over my life, I very clearly remember that call. And to this day, I still cannot shake it. It's there. But not everyone receives that call, but obviously, Elisha did receive that call, and he began to follow uh, Elijah in that whole process. Now, the interesting thing is, the Bible goes dark on Elisha. We don't find anything more until we come to 2 Kings chapter 2, where we are right now. And all of a sudden, boom, there 
is Elisha and Elijah going through this transition. Now, what's happening is Elijah is going to be caught up, go to heaven. It seems to be a secret that everyone knew about. We'll see that as we journey these verses here. And we find that the people of God needed to make some adjustments as they move forward with new leadership. Now we're going to jump into verses 2 through 6 here in just a moment. But we find that Elijah and Elisha are together. They're in a place called Gilgal. And they move from Gilgal to Bethel. And they go from Bethel to Jericho. And they go from Jericho to the Jordan River. And then from the Jordan River, we find that Elijah is caught up. And then uh, his cloak falls down. And we find that Elisha moves back to cross the, Jor uh, the Jordan River and then into Jericho itself. So it's kind of like, remember those dot-to-dot -dot games we used to do as kids? Or maybe you have grandkids or kids who do that. And, you know, they, they bring them to church so when the pastor speaks, the kids have something to do positive and they can still hear. That's what we find in this, these, these verses. So with that in mind... We find that each time they come to one of these locations, they come to these ministerial training centers. Now, different Bible translations translate it a little bit different. It's the sons of the prophets, or the school of the prophets, or the company of the prophets, or the group of the prophets. It's kind of the Old Testament version of a Bible school, Bible college, or seminary. With that in mind, we jump into th verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets, and there's that, that phrase there that's translated in different ways. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but don't speak of it. You know, mum's the word here. Let's just kind of keep it to yourselves. Verse 4. Then Elisha said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Verse 5. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. But don't speak of it. Again. Mum's the word. Verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Now the first adjust, uh, adjustment that God's people need to make from going from one spiritual leader to another is to realize that all spiritual leaders are short-term. Many times as God's people, we fall in love with leaders and teachers and pastors and spiritual leaders, and we want them to stay in that position forever. And what we're finding here from the life of Elijah is that his ministry is short-term. His time is up. They don't really want to talk about it, and uh, you know, I don't know why, 
maybe sometimes when we're going through times of sadness or sorrow or challenge, we just don't want to talk about it. I, I don't know what's going on. But I want you to notice that God provides spiritual leaders, teachers, and pastors. They are what I call temporary gifts. God, in his love, gives us these kinds of people. They teach us God's word. They take us to God himself. We find that they challenge us. But they are never, quote, unquote, long term. And what we need to do is embrace the short-term gift that God has given us and say, thank you, Lord, and hang on to everything they have given to us. Go through the grief, go through the loss, go through the sadness, but realize it is short-term. I was uh, an interim pastor, an intentional interim, where we intentionally go in and help churches go through transition. And the pastor, the senior pastor, was there for 25 years. He left one Sunday. I walked in the door the next Sunday. The church was in grief. They loved him. There was lots of sadness. And so what we do is we take them through a period of grief and let them heal and so forth and then slowly build them up so they can embrace the next pastor as they come in. Now, about midway through my intentional ministry there, which is like 22 months, so a little less than two years, the associate pastor, who had been there for 17 years, left. So we hosted a special event, had a large meal in the church, and then we brought he and his wife up on the platform and stools, and people were able to say thank you and just give special messages to them, and we all could hear about that. It was a very, very special time. I was amazed the number of men who stood up grabbed the mic like you guys do, and bawled like a baby. This associate pastor had left his fingerprints all over their life. And they were sad, deeply sad, that he was leaving. Now, senior pastor had been there 25 years. Associate pastor had been 17 years. Those are definitely long-term in American culture. I was there for 22 months. That's really short. But you know what? All of it is short in God's eternal perspective. And that's why I often explain to people that every pastor is an interim pastor. They just don't know it. They just haven't embraced it. Maybe they haven't thought about it. But they really are just an interim pastor waiting for the next one to go. No pastor can ever replace, no teacher can ever replace Wayne Stiles. He is unique. He, he contributed to your understanding of God's word. He loved you. He taught you. And he took you before God in all these things. He has his experience, his skills, his background. All of that came to me. And wherever God takes you, you need to grieve the loss and then embrace the next one, knowing the next one's going to be short-term as well. We just don't know how long. During my pastoral ministry, I pastored a church, and I often abbreviate that period of time as the most difficult six years of my life. Uh, God taught me a lot during that period of time. 
It was an extremely challenging church. Now, I say this a little bit with tongue-in-cheek and a little bit just, I think I dealt with every sin issue known to humanity inside the church walls. Now, out of that whole dynamic, God gave me and gave us a chairman of the board who is a retired pastor, 20 years my senior. He was a godsend to me. I don't know how many hours we spent in my office talking through various situations. What do we do without blowing this church wide open? We spent many times on the phone. And carefully he taught me and grounded me on how to be a lead pastor. I have learned that you really don't learn how to be a senior pastor sitting in a seminary class like Dallas Seminary. They can share principles and truths and concepts. But it's being in the situation with someone coaching you along the way. That's how you really learn to be a senior pastor. And that's what he did for me. Now, in the progress of time, the issue came up to my attention that he was engaged in behavior that was not appropriate. I won't go into the details. Just leave it there. So I had to confront him. I asked him, is this true? Yes, it was. Are you willing to give it up? No, I'm not. Multiple meetings, board brought in. To make a long story short, he stepped down from his position and left the church. I grieved that loss. I said, Lord, why would you give me someone that has been so helpful and then you just rip him out of my hands? And I had to learn that every spiritual leader is short-term. You go through the grief, you go through the pain, you go through the loss, and then you gradually let them go. And you thank God for everything they gave you. But keep in mind, it's not forever. Now, as we move through this passage, we find that there are 50 ministerial prophetical students who are following Elijah and Elisha down to the Jordan River. And then they're going to watch Elijah smack the Jordan River, and it's going to open up, and they're going to walk on dry land. With that, we move into verse 7, if we can get this right. Okay, here. It's not turning like we want to. Oh, there we go. Verse 7. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it, and the water divided to the right and to the left, and two of them crossed on dry land. Now, if I was there, I would probably ask these ministerial students, do you remember your Old Testament Bible survey? Do you remember there was another spiritual leader of Israel by the name of Joshua, who led the children of Israel across that same river? Now, I don't know, I know Wayne Stiles has been to Israel all the time. Do you ever join him at all of that? You know, okay. Do you ever walk on dry land? No, okay. Across the Jordan. They call it the Jordan trickle these days. You know that? 
It's not the river that it used to be. And so we find that they, they saw all this, but Joshua led them across that river into the land that God had promised and to conquer it from the Canaanites. Tremendous story. Now, if they remember their Old Testament Bible survey, they could go back a little bit earlier. There was another spiritual leader of Israel by the name of Moses, who led the children of Israel across the Red Sea on dry ground. And we found that the leadership went from Moses to Joshua. And now acted out before these 50 men was another transition from Elijah to Elisha, but it's not quite finished yet in that whole process. Now, the cloak is kind of a symbol of the authority. That's what he put around Elisha at the very beginning when he's still plowing his agribusiness. Here we find it again. We hear it smack in the Jordan River. And there we find that he begins to move through with his authority. Now, this is where the conversation intensifies between Elijah and Elisha. And that's where we go to verse 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Now, if we can just pause there for a moment. If you were Elisha, what would you ask if Elijah asked you that question? Hmm. Sometimes I've pondered that. What would I have really asked? Well, I want you to notice Elisha's response. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. A double portion of your spirit. In Old Testament law, we find that when a father passed away, his inheritance went to his sons. If there was uh, two sons, the older son got two-thirds, the younger son got one-third, a double portion. And we find that there was something special going on here. Now, who's in the background watching all of this? Fifty sons of the prophet. You got it. You're good. And what Elisha is saying is, I want to be the firstborn of all these that will lead this nation back to God. Interesting. Now, what is Elijah's response to that? We go to verse 10. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. <laughs> this is a difficult thing. Now, I think it's difficult because Elijah was in control of God's blessing. This was a challenge. This is something that God was going to have to do. And so God would do it. And so obviously we find that God did do this. Now, interesting thing is I love preaching on Elijah. I love preaching on Elisha. If you look at Elisha's ministry and you count up all the miracles and special things he did, there are just about twice as many as Elijah did. Now, is that an answer? I'm not sure, but we wonder about that. Did God bless Elijah twice as much? Well, we don't know. But the interesting thing is I want you to know, God doesn't necessarily bless the highest IQ. 
God doesn't necessarily bless the one who graduates at the top of his class in Dallas Seminary. God doesn't necessarily bless the one who got the preaching award that year at Dallas Seminary. Those are important. God blesses IQ and ministry skills. But there's something more, and I think Elisha got it, that God put his hand on a man who wanted more of God than anything else. And we see the results of all that God did. And that takes us to the second adjustment that God's people need to make. We need to retain the spirit of the spiritual leader. Hmm. Now, we don't fully understand everything that was going on here. But as I often looked at this, I said, what does this mean? Now, by way of application, I've broken this down into two things that helps me. The first is, I think we need to retain the human spirits of the spiritual leader, pastor, teacher, whoever was there. But keep in mind that each one of our teachers and pastors and leaders have flaws, have foibles, have failings. Every one of us have made stupid mistakes. We have put our foot in our mouths. We have copped negative attitudes. We have made leadership mistakes. And the list goes on. But somehow, in God's infinite wisdom, in his grace, he uses spiritual leaders in our lives. In spite of all the negative. And we say, thank you for that. But keep in mind, they have a human spirit. And what I would exhort the marathon class is retain the human spirit of Wayne Stiles. He poured into you, what, for seven years? Is that what I understand? You enjoyed that teaching. What did you learn? What example did you see in him? Never let it go. Give thanks to God. And if I'm familiar with your history, as I've been told, is Stan Toussaint was the teacher before him. I remember him very clearly. He was a professor at Dallas Seminary that I took every class I could. In fact, when I wrote my thesis, I had him as my advisor. Because he was a model of the kind of pastor and a Bible teacher that I wanted to be. Did I come out just like him? No. But he was a model. And now God has called him home and let the mental fall to others. So first of all, we need to maintain the human spirits. Secondly, we need to maintain the divine spirits. And I've broken those down because sometimes they're a little bit different. Now, you know that once we put our faith in Jesus Christ... The Spirit of God comes into us. Each person has that. And with that comes a spiritual gift. And that spiritual gift is a way in which we minister and serve and lead and communicate. And we need to latch on to that as God has given that to us and say, thank you so much for that. Embrace it. Now, when I was in high school, our church got a new pastor. 
His name was Bill Newkirk. And Bill Newkirk just breathed a fresh wind into our church. During that era, we used to have Sunday evening services. You remember those? Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, in Sunday evening services, all the young people sat in the back quadrant of the church because that's where all the teenagers hung out. As a result of Bill Newkirk's ministry, we all migrated to the front quadrant. Does that tell you something? And it was during that period that God really convicted me of my sinfulness, my selfishness, always wanting to please myself. And that was during that era when I began to pray, Lord, what would you have me do? And he laid on my heart to become a pastor. And that was so freaky during that period of time. But Pastor Newkirk taught me about evangelism, taught me about Bible study, about preaching and communication and leading, all those kinds of things. And I really, really say, wow, thank you so much. Now, as a result of that, as a senior in high school, I graduated and went off. Spent the next nine years of my life in ministerial training. The last four were right here in Dallas at Dallas Seminary. Now, while I was gone, God took Pastor Bill Dukirk unusually early to be home with himself. I think he was in early 50s. Boom. He was gone. The interesting thing is Pastor Newkirk's wife was like 12, 13, 14, 15 years younger than he was. Big, huge gap there. And they had four younger children. Can you imagine being in that situation? Now, <laughs> the interesting thing is one of my college friends ended up marrying her. He was younger than she was and helped her parent and father and everything else. And her name was Vicki and so forth. Now, fast forward that story 45 years. I was an intentional interim pastor about 30 miles south from where I grew up. I was dealing with a very challenging church and we had to deal with all kinds of challenging things. And one of the things they did not have was any kind of adult education. So I said, hey, why don't we have an adult class meeting before church worship, just like you guys do, and we'll start on how to study the Bible. I've learned you can walk into any church and teach that. Because the interesting thing is when you teach people how to study the Bible, you end up studying the Bible. So they're all jazzed about it, and they showed up and everything else. That morning, the first class was right after the, the new year. In walked Vicki and Joel. Vicki was the pastor's wife, which, you know, widowed, and Joel was my friend. I had not seen them in 25 years. They had bought some property and had planted 8,000 hazelnut trees on it. They heard I was there, and they came to church, and boom, unannounced. And when I saw her, all of a sudden, you know what went through my mind? What her husband did for me. And I told her, and I told the class, her husband, Milker, left his fingerprints all over my life. Taught me, groomed me, challenged me to be, that is. And what we find is that we need to retain the spirit of the spiritual leader. And I retain the spirit of Bill Newkirk, both human as well as divine. What do you remember about your former teacher, Wayne Stiles? What do you remember that Dr. Stanley Toussaint taught you? 
I'm going to go one more. What about Taylor Gardner? Now, when I was in Bible college, Taylor Gardner was our dean of students. I worked very closely with him because I was kind of the head RA of the whole dormitory, men's dormitory. Had a very good relationship with him. Graduated and came to Dallas Seminary my first year. Meanwhile, or before that, I had fallen in love with my wife, Andrea. She wasn't my wife then. And back in those days in Bible college, you had to get permission from the parents to propose and marry. And you had to get permission from the dean of students. Taylor Gardner gave me permission to marry my wife, Andrea. You know what I remember? <laughs> All that he poured into me. Now, we teacher types like to give assignments. I'm going to give you an assignment. Now, I don't know your culture that well yet. I'm working on it. But if you go out to lunch with somebody or maybe at home, I want you to kind of share what you remember that that teacher taught you, that pastor taught you, that spiritual leader taught you. That's a special treasure. And share it with a group, your family, your spouse, whatever situation it is. And say, thank you, Lord, because I want to retain the spirit of that spiritual leader that you gave me. Will you do that? You don't know what to do, do you? <laughs> yeah, new guy up here, a little bit nervous. Let's continue as we move back into 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. As they, Elijah and Elisha, were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Now, chariots and horses were the most powerful mechanism in ancient warfare. If he was writing today, we would say tanks and fighter jets. Instead, horses and uh, chariots. And all of a sudden, they were separated. Now, we continue in verse 12. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father! My father! And again, I think it's the idea of a spiritual mentor, spiritual leader, father kind of thing. The chariots of horsemen of Israel. And sometimes I think there might be a little nuance there that Elijah may have been that chariot of fire and horse of fire to some degree too as well. We don't know. We can talk about that. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart, which is the Old Testament way of saying deep grief. He was sad over that whole thing going on. We continue in verse 13. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the river. There it is. And keep in mind, that cloak is that symbol of his power. Verse 14. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him, struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. Where is he? When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left. And he crossed over. And we presume on dry land. Doesn't say that as such. But there it is. 
He is like a new Joshua. Crossing the Jordan River, not to necessarily conquer the land as Joshua did, but to conquer the land because of the idolatry and the, the pagan worship that was going on. And that's what the prophets of God were fighting against during that period of time. Now, meanwhile, the 50 ministerial students were seeing this whole thing acted out in front of them and saw that, you know, and they began to transfer their allegiance to Elisha. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. There it is. They could see it. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Now, I'm not suggesting you bow down before the next leader or anything like that, but the idea is that they transferred that allegiance there. Many times in churches, we have what we call installation services. You know what those are? Yeah, where we formally install the new pastor, lay hands, all that. This is kind of Elisha's installation service because they began to realize he was taking over. Now, we have some interesting verses in the next three concluding verses, 16, 17, and 18. Let's look at that as we move through. Look, they said, we your servants are 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. When I read that, it makes me think of the D-Day invasion in World War II. You know, before they actually had the invasion in Normandy on, on sea, they sent the paratroopers over, you know, and it was a di at night and they couldn't see, you know, some were hanging in trees, all kinds of things. And so I'm kind of envisioning, they're thinking that maybe this fiery cherry kind of dumped him somewhere and we need to go rescue him. And Elisha, at the bottom line, says, that's a great idea. Go ahead for it. <laughs> Not. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. That's pretty clear. Imagine a new spiritual leader contradicting them. Verse 17. But they persisted. Do you remember being a parent? Mommy, 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 go talk to your dad. And they have a way of just wearing us down. Isn't that right? That's the picture I get here. They just kept asking and asking and asking and asking, but they persisted until he was too ashamed to refuse. In other words, he just gave up. So he said, send them. They sent 50 men who searched for three days, but did not find them. Wow. Reconnaissance mission. In other words, Elijah was nowhere to be found. And then we wrap up with a very strange verse in verse 18. When they returned to Elisha, who was now staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? It's a nice biblical way of saying, I told you so. Um, sometimes it's challenging leading God's people. They're focused on what they want to do. And that's where we come to the last adjustment. 
and going from one spiritual leader to another, you need to recalibrate your ears to listen to a new spiritual leader. Pardon the expression, but we need to reset our spiritual hearing aids. Because we're used to listening to one voice, and now God brings a different voice, and it kind of is difficult. And that's why it takes a little bit of time to get adjusted to new leadership. Now, sometimes the new leadership doesn't work out. That's a different sermon. I'm not going to preach it today. Sometimes you just don't know, but there's a place where you need to make the adjustment and embrace new voice, new teaching style, new communication systems, new age, new background, all of that to listen to what God wants you to hear. Now, I've been telling you a little bit of the story of my life and Pastor Bill Newkirk, who left such an imprint on my life in the early days, but it wasn't that long. It was less than a year, but he definitely charted the course of my life as far as going into pastoral ministry. Uh, I was a senior in high school when he came. In my senior year, we had a football game. This was in uh, outskirts of Portland, Oregon. We, we had Friday night lights too. We we're playing our rival. And we always lost to our rival, as much as we tried. And, but we were always passionate we are going to win this year. Well, that night, Friday night, the teams were on the field, warming up. And one of our star players was Bob Batchelder. He was six foot three, 270 pounds. He was a guy that, you know, I'd want right in front of me if I was a quarterback. And I wasn't a quarterback. I was just in the stands. While they were warming up on the field, Bob Batchelder collapsed due to a heart issue and died. As a result of that tragedy, the state of Oregon required that an ambulance be at every high school football team or game. You can imagine how we as students were. We were in shock. I mean, dying is for old people. Young people, we're invincible. Nothing's going to take us out. And here's one of the key guys, boom, falls over dead. Meanwhile, we have a new pastor, Bill Knuckirk. What he does, once he gets information, he goes to the bachelor's house, introduces himself, he doesn't know them from anybody, offers his condolences, and says, is there anything I can do? I'll be glad to help you out. They already had somebody else to take care of the service as such. There's probably 1,500 students that came to that. We will never forget it. But what surprised me is that Bill Newkirk had boldness. We said, Kutzpah. Our previous pastor would have never done that before. But he was looking for an opportunity to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to High school students, to the family, whatever it is. And I learned that I need to adjust my spiritual hearing aids to new spiritual leadership. And that marked me.
as a young man. Now, you're in the whole throes of a transition. And I would challenge the marathon class to make the adjustments. You're giving yourself time. That's excellent. Because it's going to take a while before you really sink your teeth in a positive way to the next leader. But God has someone for you. And I'm excited for you. Why don't we bow in prayer? Father, as we come before you with this incredible passage of Scripture, we thank you for men of God like Elijah and Elisha. And Lord, you used them in powerful ways. And Lord, as we see here as year 2024, we're still going through transitions of spiritual leadership. And Lord, we want to say thank you for everything positive that you used in these past leaders to pour into us, to challenge us, to be like Jesus. May we run with that ball and never, ever drop it. And Lord, we just pray that as we move forward, that you'll help us to adjust our spiritual listening to new voices that you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Back to you. Here we go. Thank you, Steve. Great message. Until next week, Steve will be back with us next week. Uh, until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.